Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Southwest Radio Ministries and Watchmen on the Wall are celebrating 90 years of proclaiming the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Today on the program, Floyd Brown continues sharing his plan for true renewal of liberty in America, and Micah Van Huss will examine the evidence of long lifespans before Noah's flood. As we begin our time together, I want to encourage all of our new listeners to request your free new listener pack. The new listener pack includes the latest issue of our Prophetic Observer newsletter and a free gift. Request your free new listener pack when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Now, let's rejoin the conversation with Larry Spargimino and author Floyd Brown, discussing an unlikely alliance of Americans fighting back for faith and freedom. You managed the Bob Dole campaign in the Midwest. Bob Dole came out on top in the crucial Iowa contest. You went hyper-local. Tell us about that. A lot of people, when they're faced with false narratives and when they're faced with difficult political environment, one of the things that happens is they begin to feel powerless. Mm. And what I wanted to do is to let people understand that the way our system is organized Everyone has power. Everyone is a citizen. And everyone can grab at the oar of government and be part of the solution. And the place you can do that is very local. Mm. Because all of us live in a school district. All of us live in a town or a county. And there's a lot of key positions that are around you that are very local that you can influence by being active at the local level. Mm. And so one of the things I really encourage people to do is to occupy where they're at. And that means getting to know your neighbors, getting to know the people around you, discussing these issues with them, working together with people that are locally with you that have similar ideas, and you can create real change at the local level. You put it very eloquently. You say, there are no solutions to our problems coming out of Washington now. The solutions to our problems come from neighbors working arm-in-arm to solve them and essentially ignoring the elite state behemoth that is so distant and so absurd. And that's exactly it. We face a deep state behemoth. It's very far away, very absurd, and very un-American. And really, the founders gave us the power to do that by, first of all, the Bill of Rights, which gives us very specific protections. And one of those actually is the Tenth Amendment, which has been ignored by the courts for the last few decades. But the Tenth Amendment says that anything that's not specifically delegated to the federal government should be the domain of the states. Mm. We have a lot of power locally to change things. So it's really important to get involved at your local level. One of the things that that, that I I discuss a few examples of this in my book. One is locally here where I live. A friend of mine who I didn't know at the time, he decided to text 
50 of his friends and invite them to coffee to talk about mask mandates because he was really frustrated by them. <laughs> well, when he sent that text out, 250 people showed up for coffee. Wow. And now since then, they've been meeting every other Monday night for coffee at a local coffee shop called Amped. And they're involved in school board races and state legislative races, and they're really getting active in the community and having huge impact. All of the local officials now come to them and want to, you know, interview with them and talk with them and, and meet with them. And it's amazing. This was just organized by a gentleman who's a Christian here in, in my neighborhood who just said, you know, I'm just tired of everything they're doing to stop you know, make me wear a mask and stop churches from meeting. And he, he just decided he was going to fight these COVID mandates. And now it's branched out into many other things. You say that the beauty of America is that there are people of all walks of life, colors of skin, and young and old who are united by the principles on which America was founded. And I think that's very true because people are pretty much fed up at one time until maybe the last few years, we took everything for granted. And now that we are losing them very quickly and very violently, they're being wrenched out of our hands. I think people are saying, hey, what's going on? This has got to stop. And I think that's encouraging. Yeah. I was also greatly influenced by a book by a pastor, actually, Matthew Truella. He wrote a book which is about a Christian doctrine called The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates, the subtitle of, of his book is A Proper Resistance to Tyranny and a Repudiation of Unlimited Obedience to Civil Government. Mm. And his book had a huge impact on me because when we're given mandates from the federal government that are contrary to Scripture, not only as a local elect, elected official should you resist that, but you also you have an affirmative duty to resist it. And it's really important that we use that power. It's called the doctrine of interposition. It's a very established Christian doctrine that's been written about mm -hmm. for years and years and years. It's really what led to the signing of the Magna Carta when King John was brought to heel by landowners around him in Great Britain many, many years ago that really is from where our democratic and Republican traditions grow from. So it's important to understand that we have a right and a duty to resist things that government tries to do that are not right. We seem to be finding allies from strange areas. For example, Fox News recently reported that CARE, the Council of American Islamic Relations, launched a petition urging lawmakers to add religious protections to proposed amendments to the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act, which seeks to include sexual orientation and gender identity. And Keir pointed out that by expanding the rights for LGBTQ members, the bill could remove protections for faith-based organizations that believe marriage is between one man and one woman. And of course, that's Christianity, Islam, and almost everybody else. So so the dangers perceived by a Muslim group are the same as what we perceive. We're losing our religious freedoms by progressivism, but we are indeed coming together, even people from very, very diverse backgrounds. And I think that's very encouraging. You know, there are so many things that, 
that unite us and that are so precious and we don't want to lose them, whether you're a Muslim or a Christian. Yeah, well, there are so many things that unite us. People want to be free and people yearn to be free. And that's why a lot of immigrants came to the U.S. And that's why they're willing to stand with us against these really tyrannical policies that attempt to strip our freedom away. Mm. There are some problems that we see arising now. You speak about the Fourth Amendment. Unlawful search and seizures are becoming more and more commonplace, especially for white people. Tell us about, is that a real danger if you're white? Is that a danger that we need to be concerned about? And what can we do about it? Yeah, well, I think it's a danger for everyone. It really is this whole idea that they're running around trying to protect us from non-existent tyrannical threats. And a lot of it has to do with the growth of the anti-terrorism business of government since 9-11. With the passage of the Patriot Act, which I talk about quite a bit in the book, you've created these massive agencies that are constantly looking for a problem. Because, you know, if you solve a problem in government, then you go out of business. And so they, they can't really solve problems. They got to make sure the threat's worse every year. So that's why you get, you know, the FBI focusing on moms going to school boards against these radical transgender agendas, and they're calling them terrorists. I just saw this morning, and so this isn't in the book, but I just saw this morning that a new FBI report came out that said, if you use the phrase, he's been red-pilled, that that makes you some kind of a threat to democracy. That's a phrase that's used by many millennials because it's a phrase right out of a movie called The Matrix. They're always creating these threats, these so-called threats, because that means Congress needs to give them more funding, they can grow their agency, they can have more people work for them. It becomes this ever-perpetuating bigger and bigger and bigger government. I think our public education system is a big problem, and of course, even in rural America, where so many of the teachers are Christian, where they're patriots and so forth, but the textbooks, the materials that they use, the exams that the kids have to take and that are graded come from Los Angeles and Washington, D.C., from state teachers' colleges. You have a shocking section titled Majoring in Stupid. For this, parents fork over $60,000 a year And you speak about some of the courses. For example, UC Berkeley, arguing with Judge Judy. Swarthmore, queering the Bible. The University of Pennsylvania, feminist critique of Christianity. Here's one, Pitzer College, tattoos, piercing, and body adornment. You know, none of those courses would help a poor black or Hispanic kid somewhere get a better job add, subtract, make change, work at a grocery store. None of those courses would do that. And so many of the teachers come from those schools or those universities. So you were speaking about acting locally or critically important. And I know President Biden considers, you know, if you're fighting the school board, you're a domestic terrorist. That's nonsense. The schools do not own our kids. We do. No, we absolutely do. But they don't think we do. And so it's, it's, it's really important that we set that metric straight again 
And so that's why I'm calling on everybody to get involved locally because you can make change. Your neighbors don't agree with these radical policies either. I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe that we do have a right to bear arms and not just for squirrel hunting. And I think it's so tragic that crime is on the rise. I mean, the policies of the progressive left, you know, transgenderism. I mean, these people are confused. They're angry. They're, some of them are very vicious. And yet our government, in so many cases, wants to totally disarm us. That sounds so ridiculous. You've brought up something tangentially, which I think people don't want to say out loud. And that is, we had this horrific shooting in Nashville. Yes. But what we have to understand is this girl was being pumped full of so much testosterone because it had to overcome her natural hormones. And we've known for decades that rage and anger is a side effect of too much testosterone. We learned that back in the 70s with the bodybuilders that were taking too much testosterone. And so we don't have any idea the amount of steroids and other chemicals that we were pumping into her body, which made her absolutely, completely full of rage. They're not helping these people. They're enabling real, serious problems. Psychological problems in these people. They need help. They're crying out desperately for help. We know the solution, and the real help is a relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus can create that kind of inner healing that no one else can. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire when you take somebody who's got mental issues and then you pump them full of steroids and testosterone. The Democrat Party claims to be the party of science. But you get some atheist, he will tell you there are only two genders, male and female. That's scientific. You could cut off body parts. You can load a person with puberty blockers and testosterone or whatever. If you have a transgender woman, you've got a feminized man, which is so ridiculous. And most doctors, from what I've read, They say that somebody who's suffering from gender dysphoria, after a few years, they usually grow out of it. So we don't need to do anything. But it's almost like if a four-year-old says, I think I'm whatever. Oh, you need surgery right away. That's child abuse. That's awful. That should be illegal. You're so correct. It is child abuse. And as a result, society is reaping a harvest of pain. And now as a result of that, we have these people that were killed in Nashville. Yes, yes. Well, what about the local church? So many pastors that I speak to, they, you know, they agree with what you're saying about being involved and so forth, but they're just afraid to move because sometimes the deacons and the elders will start to rebuke the pastor. You're getting into politics and so forth. What would you say to pastors, deacons, elders, And certainly, you know, a great responsibility goes with church members. If church members start complaining, we're getting into politics, not much is going to be done. I would say you need to start reading Scripture. Read the entire Old Testament. Who were the prophets going to? The prophets were going to the king, okay? When David was called out for his sin, 
by Nathan. It wasn't because he wasn't involved in politics. He had the courage to go directly to the king and call him out for his sin with Bathsheba. Throughout history, we have examples of how Christians have interfaced in a positive way with political leaders to bring nations back to a redemptive and loving knowledge with Jesus Christ, whether it's Wilberforce or the First and Second Great Awakening here in America, the Black Robe Regiment that was so active in our own war for independence from Britain. Pastors, churches, lay people all have a responsibility to be involved in politics. If some church leader or even somebody just in the pew wants to say, no, that's not the way, they need to just be shown the scriptures that show the example that that is the way. Amen. Well, thank you, Floyd, for these two excellent interviews. And of course, for your book, you've done a real service to America and to the free world. I really appreciate you. Thank you. And our goal is to disciple and to bring people to a loving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we can't do that if we're not involved in society. Amen. Is it possible for renewal to come through peace rather than power? Floyd Brown says yes. In the book, Counterpunch, an unlikely alliance of Americans fighting back for faith and freedom, he lays out a complete step-by-step plan on how you can take part in something that will completely reorder the country under new governing principles. This book will illuminate how we can implement peaceful resistance against the immorality and policies of the radical left to bring a renewal of liberty, freedom, and biblically-based principles back to America. Order Counterpunch by Floyd Brown today by simply calling 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order at our website, swrc.com. Counterpunch issues both the battle cry and a strategic action plan for a populist movement in America that goes beyond any president or political party. 1-800-652-1144 or online swrc.com. Counterpunch by Floyd Brown. How long did people live before Noah's flood? How do you explain the long lifespans reported in the Bible? Well, let's find out. Micah Van Huss, executive producer of Marginal Mysteries, is here to answer these questions. The average lifespan in the United States is 77 years old. You may know someone who has lived to the ripe old age of 100. Elizabeth Sullivan, on her 104th birthday, told a reporter in Texas that her secret to longevity was drinking three cans of Dr. Pepper a day over the last 40 years of her life. Her doctors kept telling her that the soda would kill her, but she's outlived three of them. The world's oldest person on record was Shen Clement from France, who lived to the age of 122 before passing away in 1997. Evolution states that we are becoming more complex. Actually, our DNA is becoming more corrupt with every generation. We are in a state of devolution. While knowledge is increasing, our bodies are getting worse. When you make a copy of a copy of a copy on a copying machine, the prints don't get better, they get worse. The same is true for our DNA. 
There are those who have lived longer than that, however, much longer than 120 years. As we see in Scripture, humans before the flood lived extremely long, natural lives. Methuselah is the oldest recorded human, and he died at 969 years old. Noah died at 950, and Adam at 930. Now, there were many factors that allowed for the long lifespans of antediluvian humans. During the subsequent years after creation, humans and plants were much closer to their genetic perfection. In the world before the Great Flood of Noah, there was also the firmament, extra atmospheric pressure, and higher oxygen levels that helped contribute to the long lifespans. The firmament was an ice canopy in the sky that would have blocked much of the sun's cancer-causing UV light. Let's read about that in Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Now we see in Scripture that the earth was an orb of water. Elohim came to that orb of water and put a pocket of air in the middle of that water, and divided the water from which was above from that which was below, and that is the second day of creation, the firmament. Now, how do I know that there was a layer of ice in the sky? Well, there's much scripture that gives credence to the theory. First, scripture says that it didn't rain on the earth before the flood. Let's read Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. The fact that in those days the Lord had not caused it to rain on the earth, to me, is evidence against the firmament just being the clouds that we see in the sky today. Also notice that the ground was watered by a mist. According to Discover Magazine, trees in tropical rainforests today get 75% of their water from moisture in the air. We know it as fog. It wasn't just the firmament. Genetics also played a role in the long lifespan of humans. Even in today's generations, we're seeing people with new ailments and new allergies. Though gluten intolerance has been documented since 100 AD, it's on the rise in the last 50 years. These ailments are also partially due to genetically modified foods causing things such as leaky guts. The green herbs that humans ate in the antediluvian world were full of nutrition because the generations were much closer to God's perfect creation, even for the plants, and the soil itself was richer in minerals. A recent BBC article, along with many other articles, report about our dwindling available farmland. The report reads in part, The dirt beneath our feet is getting poorer, and on many farms worldwide, there is less and less of it. Without sufficient soil, our ability to grow food is threatened. As a fascinating side note, when you eat red meat, a small amount of the iron from that meat stays in your body. If you were to live much longer than 120 years, that iron in your body would kill you. God tells Adam that he can freely eat of the plants, and God in his wisdom knew that if mankind were to eat red meat after the fall, that it would have prematurely killed them, because in those days men lived into their 900s. After the flood, when God has his covenant with mankind with Noah, that's when he tells mankind that they can now eat the animals. Of course, after the flood, men's lifespans quickly go down to 120 years. In Arthur Brown's book, Methuselah's Secret, we find the disturbing and fascinating story of the Dickerson children. 
Reported on by the Windsor Star in the 1960s, the Dickersons weren't allowed to have more than three children in their rental home. So the parents hid their youngest three children in the attic for 15 years. The children were educated and fed, but they were never allowed to go outside during the daytime. Now, eventually the children were discovered, and they were amazingly small for their ages. Connie was 18, Gordon 15, and Glenda 13, but they looked like 8, 9, and 10-year-olds. Their mental capacity matched their age, but their lack of growth was likely due to the absence of UV light aging them. Now, in the Millennial Kingdom, people would be considered children at 100 years old. Let's read about it in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner, being an hundred years old, shall be accursed. I do believe that the firmament will be remade for the Millennial Kingdom, and there will be a layer of ice in the sky and that could possibly be what Isaiah chapter 65, what causes the slow aging. But because of the slower aging, antediluvian man was likely not sexually mature until around 100 years old. Notice that in Scripture, men were quite old by our standards before they had their first son. Seth had his first son at 205, Enosh at 190, Canaan 170, Mahalalel 165, Jared 162, Enoch 165, Methuselah 187, Lamech 182, and Noah 502. Now, Noah's a little bit different. According to Jewish writers, they speculated that Noah knew of the coming judgment and thought it frivolous to bear children only to have them destroyed, so he waited until God commanded him at 502 years old to have children. One more side question to this, who did Cain marry? Well, Cain likely married his sister. We see a lot of close relation marriages in the antediluvian world and the years after the flood. Again, the human gene pool was perfect at creation. We have become so physically corrupt that genetic mutations are prominent in such relationships. Now, after the flood, we see a clear dissension of the human lifespan. The sun's UV rays had their effects on humans without the ice canopy overhead. According to the timeline, Noah was 950 years old, his son Shem 600, and then his son Arphaxed 565. It goes down to Shelah 460, down to Eber 504, Peleg 339, and then down to Nahor 208, Terah 205, and then Abraham lived 175 years. So eventually, without the ice canopy overhead, man's lifespans went down to around 120. If you've enjoyed this study, be sure to take a look at my new book, The Earth As It Was. We study the age of antediluvian man, as well as creation, the dinosaurs, Leviathan, the Watchers, the Nephilim, and Pangaea. The Earth As It Was is available at swrc.com, and I hope you get your copy today. The book Counterpunch by Floyd Brown is our featured resource today. Order your copy by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order at our website, swrc.com. Counterpunch issues both the battle cry and a strategic action plan for a populist movement in America that goes beyond any president or political party. 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, we wrap up the week looking at the latest headlines from the end times. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by downloading our SWRC mobile app. 
You can also subscribe to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com.